welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today, even though it's a new episode, we actually have a returning author with us. None other than Mark Rosendorf is back with us. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me here again. I feel like I'm an old friend. Definitely. And even though this news has been out for a little bit, in case anybody missed it, last time we spoke to Mark was right before... There was his book. There was going to be an announcement about something or other. Mark, what happened since the last time we spoke? Okay, well, the last time we spoke, The Witches of Vegas was a finalist for the Rhone Awards. I'm proud to say The Witches of Vegas won the Rhone Award. Since then, the second book, Journey to New Salem, came out, as did the third book recently, Witches Gamble. You know, Witches Gamble was the one we were discussing towards the end. I believe the second one actually came out the last time we did speak, and then the third one came out recently. And so, yeah, there's actually a lot that's been going on, and I'm also proud to say Journey New Salem, which is a sequel to which the Vegas is now a finalist for this year's Rhone Awards. Oh, wow. So you had sent to the podcast, Witches of Vegas and Journey of New Salem. We got to read both of those because it was right before Witches of Vegas was up for the Rhone Award, which it did win. Right. And then Journey of New Salem was not the finalist yet. That hadn't happened yet. Right, because it's always yeah. one year prior. Right. And then you said you were going to do a time travel and was going to come next. And I don't remember if we actually said on the podcast, but afterwards, the cover had just been completed and you sent me the cover to check out. And now, a couple of weeks ago, you actually sent me Witch's Gamble, which I have sitting right in front of me right now. Oh, so do I. What coincidence. <laughs> Look, at we get this insider information here on the podcast is what I'm trying to get. But just to, so we're not just like throwing stuff out there. Why don't you give us, please, a kind of like a brief idea of what the series is about and then also specifically Witch's Gamble. Sure. Well, the series is about a family of witches and their vampire mentor who hide in plain sight and practice their witchcraft in plain sight as magicians on the Vegas Strip, which is a great thing for them. It's a great thing for the audience. Not so great for all the magicians that are in Vegas. There's basically two sides to the story. You have the witches and a main character who is their teenage daughter, Isis Rivera. And then you have Zach Galloway, who is one of the magician's assistants, also a teenager. Basically, you see this from both sides. That is until a threat from the vampire's past comes, which forces the magicians and the witches to have to come together to save Vegas and to save the world. The story goes on in the second book, Journey to New Salem. Their world opens past Vegas, as we get to see what some of their world looks like. And the third book, as I mentioned, Witches Gamble, is my time travel story, in which the story is actually going to look into some of the past events and dealing with alternate reality after the enemy manages to go back in the past and make a change that just changes everything moving forward. We had spoken last time that you had said that you were going to be writing the time travel thing. And then you were speaking about how you, it wasn't just going to be a regular time travel book. You had some ideas that were maybe slightly different. How much of that can we speak about without ruining the book? Or is it um, general? I guess we can speak in, in general. In general, the story is basically Valeria, who is the, the evil Wiccan vampire throughout the series, goes back in time and makes one change. And because of the butterfly effect, the one change changes everything. And it's up to Isis who at that point is a far more powerful teenage witch, has to go back and try to figure out what it is was changed and how to change it back, and all the while going through events that she had lived throughout her life and scenes we've seen in the first two books only after the change. So they played out completely different. That one change moment where she goes back and she realizes what has to be changed, that is... And I say this in a good way. It is terrible. It's terrible in that it really tests out her own morals and ethics. Yes, that it's terrible as in... That is a terrible decision to have to make. Because 
First you're like, oh, of course we'll just go back and change things. And then all of a sudden you see that moment and you're like, wait a second. What do you mean we'll just go back and change things? This requires some thought right now. Well, I made a promise on my social media to a lot of the readers of The Witches of Vegas that this book, the third one, Witches Gamble, was going to have the biggest twist in the entire series. And it's my hope that I, I did give that a twist that would be like none other. Well, if that's the, the twist moment, or there's obviously other things going on in the story, but if that's it, that's a pretty big moment, that one. And it's just like, oh. But writing a time travel book, talking in general terms, was there something either more difficult or easier about writing a time travel book? Did you have to keep going back to your first two books? Like, wait a second, when did this happen? Sort of thing. Was the story very clear for you? What was a little bit about that, like actually going to writing it? Well, I had made a promise to myself a long time ago, even before The Witches of Vegas, that if I could ever come up with an original story about time travel, because I love time travel movies, I love time travel books, that I was going to write it. But coming up with something original is hard because almost everything has been done involving time travel, alternate realities. And I came up with this concept, and that was my feeling that this was original enough that I wanted to write it, and then I was going to make it part of the Witches of Vegas series. Yeah, I had to basically have the two books there, and I, I was writing out and like kind of mapping out three different timelines. The original timeline, the timeline after the change, and I'm making sure both, I'm following both to make sure that nothing could be, because I'm, I'm big with movies and TV I'm, and books. I'm quick to like get the point out, all the little mistakes. They're like, wait a minute, that shouldn't have worked out that way. So right. I wanted to make sure this really covered everything. And then, of course, as you know, there's a, another timeline involved in the story, so I was also putting that together. So I had all three of them mapped out side by side by side, making sure that what changed, changed it makes sense, and how would the change would affect everything moving forward. Even getting technical on this, when you say that you had them mapped out, put them on an Excel sheet somewhere, you actually wrote them out? What did that actually look like? I wrote them on paper, and I also went book by book and like kind of like put dates. There was definitely a lot before I actually sat down and wrote the story. So you kind of had to research your own books before you were able to write it. Yeah. Wow. Was there a moment that you're like, I put that in there? Oh yeah, I did. Did you have that with any? Well, to be honest, it's, I know it sounds like a lot, but I was already used to that because I wrote the second book, you know, Journey to New Salem, with them visiting New Salem, which I know you read Journey to New Salem is basically a, a village for witches, where witches have come from all over the world to escape persecution, have been going there for hundreds of years. But I realized that before it can even appear in the book, they had a history prior. I was already like in the process of mapping that. I was mapping that up in the second book as far as, well, what's their government? What's the land look like? Who are the people? Who's in charge? What has their history? So by the time I got to the third book, I was so used to like, I had to map out all of New Salem that at that point I had to map out all the different timelines. I basically, I did on the long construction paper. I just kind of used the same exact construction paper to figure that out. I was already in that process, so to speak. Yo, yeah, for sure. And it's actually interesting what you're speaking about because this is kind of one of the things about writing a series. You can write a, a standalone book, solid, great story, just the right of information and it's all fine. But then once you start writing a second or third book to a series, you actually have to start going deeper because you, there has to be more to the history of whatever it is or something like that, especially if it's a some sort of made-up universe or anything like that. So was this kind of stuff that you knew going into it? I better figure out all this stuff. Was it something that someone had recommended to you? Or just from all your years of taking in from other places, you're like, oh, I, I gotta make sure there's a history for my places too. All of it pretty much hits me usually in the middle of the night, and I'm just like, that's why I keep a notebook near my bed, I'm just scribbling down ideas, and then the next morning I kind of put it back into place. So it's just as the idea hit, as you know throughout the Witch of Vegas series, especially by the end of the second and third book, there's a couple of time jumps, and I have to make sure that everything that I now present, first off, makes sense, that's how it would go. And then also, the bigger issue as far as with time jumps is you have to be able to catch the reader up without coming off like a textbook. Yes, that's so true. 
How much of that is your decision versus your editors? How much information you give? Or if your editor is like, no, 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 we need a little bit more here. This isn't enough to kind of catch everybody up. It does come up, but basically what I'm doing is presenting the characters and kind of showing them without like going back and saying, oh, well, this happened, right. this happened. You know, you got to follow that show, not tell rule. And you're just making sure that it's understood that you see where they are versus saying, oh, they've been doing this for a while. You just kind of like got to show it and make sure that it's really understood. Um, my editors are very good as far as pointing out, you know, do a little more telling here. Got to rework it a bit. They're also very supportive and most of it is pretty much, you know, by the time I hand it to them, I've, I've already worked through a lot of that. Yeah. And then I just got to ask also, you have, sure. this is not spoiler because it's in the beginning. You have these vampire zombies that are attacking? Uh, by the time we get to, to the beginning of the third book, there was a nuclear war that killed a lot of people. The radiation destroyed their brains and then vampires went around and reanimated them into vampires. But at that point, the brain was already destroyed. One consistency in the book is that any injury that you have when you get turned is now with you for eternity. For example, Simon the vampire had a wooden leg. His right. leg doesn't grow back because it happened while he was human, so he's now a vampire forever with a wooden leg. That was the case with them. These are now mindless vampires, which basically zombies, yes, but that's their origin, how they, how they became mindless because the radiation, you know, they died, the radiation destroyed their brains, and then they were turned. How do you kill a zombie vampire? I don't want to give away too much on that because they do figure it out at the beginning, but the main thing is the third book, as I mentioned to everybody, a lot of people are concerned at the end of the second book, which is Gamble's not a book about fighting zombies, that's a bit of a red herring. That's what's going on when everything suddenly turns around and it becomes a time travel story. Okay, this is a totally random question, and it could just be that I don't remember, but you're saying that vampires went around to reanimate the zombies. We only met a few vampires until now, so... I don't know if this is something that's coming up, and this might be some spoiler for like book 12 or something, but are we going to find out if this big vampire community really exists, or do we kind of hint already that there's more than two vampires out there and we just haven't met them yet? Or three vampires? Well, it is presumed there are more vampires. There's not as many, but there are a few out there that after that war did come out of the woodwork. However, a big part of the story now is to make sure, since it doesn't involve time travels, to make sure that war never happens. Right. Therefore, those zombies will never be. Right, because that was also something that you knew kind of automatically, or is that something you decided as you went along about if it's a time travel, assuming there's going to be a change somewhere, when you're going to go back and revert to a certain point in the story, did you kind of know automatically where that point was going to be, or did you sort of have to figure that out? Honestly, you know? no. I actually had the ideas for three when I was writing two. In fact, a lot of it even hit me during one, because one is the setup for that one particular scene in one although i didn't know how i was going to get to that at that point but i knew that was going to be the end of three so i had it in one where if you go back and read one it becomes very obvious but it's not the first time you read through ah uh, okay did your publishers know from the outset that you had more than one idea for the book it was discussed with my editor it was nothing official at the point when after submitting and after working on the editing i was already writing two and i already had notes for three did they say from the outset that they were going to take book three? Once two was signed, yes. They knew they were going to do three. They didn't contract it ahead of time because they tend not to like to do that. You know, they want to make sure the book is written before they put out a contract. Yeah. But yeah. book one sold very well. Two's doing pretty well as well. So they were very much interested in three. I knew they were going to take three because of how well one and two were doing. Awesome. And... Speaking of which, I also want to say I've been contracted for two more books. Four is on the way, and five has already been contracted as well. Both for Witches of Vegas. That's correct. Number four, which actually I'm working with my editor on right now, is going to be titled Which Way to Vegas, and which spelled W-Y-T-C-H. Fourth is going to lead right into book five, which is going to be titled Wicked Mirror. Uh, how much can you say about We're going back to Vegas, kind of? Could you tell us that much? 
four basically follows where three ends. It also introduces a new enemy, a new villain, and it also deals with something I find a lot of these types of books do not deal with. And that's PTSD. I mean, you read one through three. You saw how much ISIS and Zach and the family went through. And you yeah. saw this happens in these types of books and such. And then they're ready for the next adventure. But you don't see any of how they're dealing with it, any of the, the post-press. So there's a lot of that in book four, plus with an enemy who's trying to mess up with the family and try to mess up ISIS and Zach. There's a teen witch who's trying to get in between ISIS and Zach. And they're dealing with this while distracted from everything they've already been through. Uh, introducing the new villain, was it something that also just sort of came to you? Was it something you felt like, okay, it's time to bring someone new in? Three was supposed to end the series, and then the ideas for four and five just hit. So, yeah, the idea of this character definitely came in. They'll go back to Vegas, and there's a new rival show of witches, and there's going to be more to them than meets the eye that's going to lead to everything that happens in that book. And then book five is a big wrap-up of everything from the beginning all the way to the end, comes together in book five. Even though you haven't written it yet, you kind of have the ideas for it already. You kind of see where everything um, well, is going. Well, the rough draft is done. So now I'm oh. working on four, then we start the editing process. Oh, wow. I could say these really came along fast just because maybe because, you know, I've been writing these characters so long and I had the ideas just looking to pour out on paper. They really came along fast. Oh, that's amazing. Are you feeling, and maybe not because you actually had the ideas coming quickly, but sometimes people get nervous with series endings. Do you have any sort of nervousness like that? Or you're like, no, it is so clear the wrap up for this. My wrap up was clear. I knew exactly how it was going to end. And it also leaves room because, like I said, I thought book three was going to be the end and then the ideas for four and five. As far as I'm concerned, five is the last book, but who knows? That may change again. So you do have a few ideas going further. I don't know if I have enough to fill a whole book and I'm certainly not going to force it. Well, you have a little bit of time until then, so, right, who knows? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have a new project that I'm working on. If I can share with your audience, I'm working with a script writer, and we've put together a script on the first book, and we have someone in the industry who's very interested, a head of a movie production, who is very interested in The Witches of Vegas with connections to different movie groups, including Netflix. So we may see a live action Witches of Vegas maybe in the next two years. Well, that would be something. Just as a general thing, when you're writing the script, and you have no idea if anything's going to happen, if it's only going to be one, or maybe everyone's going to love it so much, there's going to be 12 films or whatever. Do you feel like you kind of could take some wrap-ups from later books or points from later books and bring it into that first um, script? Yeah, you want to basically make sure when the next scripts come out that it, it'll continue to work, everything that the beginning sets it up, but you don't know if there's going to be the next one. Because right. what happens is before they even can talk about the next script, they put the first one out, you know, they film it, they spend a lot of money on these. Typical script, my guys tell me, hey, with our backers, we can get $150 million behind this movie. Like, wow. But if it doesn't do well, there's not going to be a second. So I'm yeah. going to ask everybody when The Witch of Vegas comes out, make sure you check it out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, because I've seen sometimes big books or something like that, let's say it's a series, but they only made the first one into the film. And I, you know, I didn't see the contract. I didn't know anything like that. But they'll sort of wrap up the film in a way that kind of gives a nod, let's say, to the end of the series. So I guess that means that they're anticipating from the outset that it's only going to be the one. Technically, if, they, if it would be a smashing success, they could do more. But they do kind right. of give that wrap up, you know, in that first Well, that film. was one reason they liked it because, you know, they feel that in the movies it's mostly teenagers going there. And they knew The Witches of Vegas has all the tropes, has all the stuff and the type of characters that teenagers would like. And they also like the fact that if it does do well, and that's what they said, if it does well, there's more source material they can look towards. But a lot of these movies that start off and you only see one, it's with the intention of doing more. It just didn't do well enough. Good, The Fifth Wave is a perfect example of that. That was the first of the series in the movies because there's five books out, but it didn't just didn't do well enough. And that's why the next one, you know, they, they never did another. I think Vampire Academy 
was like that also. They made the adaptation and like really only the rabbit fans. They would have done a whole second one, but they just, they didn't have the funding for it because the first one just did not do well. But now I think they're making it to TV series or something. So something's get second chances, I guess. Kind of going backwards for a second about introducing a new villain to book four. Sometimes what you have in a series, it's kind of like a Batman Joker thing that the Batman and the Joker are like the iconic antagonists to each other. So somehow the Joker always comes back cause blah, 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 whatever. But at the same time, it feels like how many stories of a Batman and Joker, and I'm sure there's a lot of them, but at a certain point you're like, isn't there anybody else to fight here? So do you feel like putting in the new villain? It wasn't just like, okay, we have somebody else, but it kind of like opened up all these new options when you brought in a new villain. It does, although let me just say that Valeria is not done with the story. The new <laughs> villain actually has a connection to her. It's one you wouldn't expect, but one that'll make itself clear throughout the story. I could say that those characters will also be back in five. So I can tell you at least the villain will be recurring, will be returning, and it does definitely opens up the story a bit. It also gives, like this, she's so di different from Valeria because she's nowhere near as powerful. You know, Valeria was a 400-year-old vampire with witch experience. This one is just a straight-up teenage witch. She's very clever. She's very manipulative. She's catching them just at the right time because they're dealing with all the PTSD of everything that happened. And also her motivations are also very different than what we've seen from the, from the witches of Vegas' enemies before. And then just to ask, are we going to see any more magic tricks? Absolutely. Yay for the magic tricks! In fact, you're also going to see a little spoiler, a moment in four, because of all the trauma they've been through. Part of why they go to do magic again is because they, is the family thought that's where they always were best with as far as to clear their head. And we find they might have gone a little bit early because one of their shows doesn't go as well as it had gone previously. Okay, maybe you address this in the book and you'll tell me if we get into too much spoiler stuff. But the way Witch's Gamble ends off, it's really only Isis and Zack who know everything, even from what was not reset. They're the only two who kind of really know, like, all the timelines. So... It also leaves a big question in their head. Was it real? Wasn't it? I mean, at the end of the book, they said they have a certain proof that it was real, but how much of it is now the real history? How much that they know from the future will still be the future? So there's a lot on their minds regarding that and a lot of pressure. Right, because when you talk about the PTSD, it would seem that that would be mainly affecting, well, ISIS, because she's been here, there, and everywhere. Zach, he finds out about everything, but the rest right. of the family doesn't really get... Or they're just having PTSD from the one encounter, or is there something else? No, it's mostly that Isis and Zax. Isis starts having reactions, and as you know, she's a witch, so when right. she has them, she loses control of the power. So they realize the other problem they have is, in book four, they're now in New Salem, and of course the concern is, well, who, what if people don't believe them? They actually have the complete opposite problem. Everybody does believe them. And of course wants to know about their futures, and because of all the difficulties, the family feels the two of them kind of need to get away and maybe the best place is back on stage in Vegas. So we may or may not see another couch flying through the window. Well, you may see something <laughs> even worse, actually. In the fourth book, the Sapphire, their place where they did their magic, is all taken, and they're not looking to bump their show for them, so the Witches of Vegas end up actually in Zach's old place, the, the Felicity at the Herb Galloway Theater. Oh, that's an interesting touch. Since you got you had the Rhone Awards, came down with more books. What's other stuff you've been doing with the book? Just talking to more people about it, or you get ads and stuff? Yeah, just trying to get it out there. I can tell you, The Witches of Vegas also came in second in the International Digital Awards which is another big award that the young adult with a lot of different um, books entered. And The Journey to New Salem recently received a certificate for the National Excellence in Storytelling for 2022, also in the young adult category. Oh, wow. Do you just have a whole list of contests that you're just submitting everything to? or Okay, that's a little bit of exaggeration. Uh, a publisher yeah. tends to submit 
and then a lot I submit myself is just as I see things, and then I've actually had a, f a few where they've actually came to me about putting the books into them. For example, in detail, in detail, you for the Rhone Awards says you can't just apply for them. Your book has to be has to earn its way in. It has to get the five four and a half for five star review. It has to get the nomination, the Crowned Heart, and then it has to go through the voting process. You know, which is the public vote to get into the finals, and it goes to the judges. Do they stick the badges on your covers now? So now if you go back to get a new version of The Witches of Vegas, it's going to have that metal on it, kind of? They do it with the e-books. I can tell you it's on their website, but once the book is in print, they can't really make changes to it. Yeah, that's true. So at that point, now. By the way, if I can also share, for Journey to Salem was actually up for two Rowan Awards in the young adult category and in the audio. My audiobooks are done by Jeffrey Lynn Hutchins, who is one of the most amazing voices you'll hear. Like, in fact, a lot of people are like, hey, I recognize that voice because he's done a lot of commercials and movie trailers. Well, so how is it working with him, especially because you have female and male voices? He does all the voices. He's absolutely amazing at them. If anybody goes to my website, www.markrosendorf.com, there is a link there where he does a almost like a prequel, an interview with Isis going into the Witches of Vegas of what it's like to be a member of the Witches of Vegas. And he does the entire thing you know, with the interviewer and in Isis's voice. I gotta go check that out. Did you do the audiobooks? Your publisher did this or you did it through like ACX or what did you do? Um, he was actually someone that the marketing director from my publishing company knew and put me in touch. He won't just take a book. He says, well, let me see it. Let me read it. And I yeah. sent him a copy of The Witches of Vegas, and he really liked it and wanted to do it. And the rest is history. I said, well, you want to do it? And then we went through audible.com. He did the voiceover. We submitted it. It got accepted through them. And now he's officially the voice of The Witches of Vegas. Has he done all three books? He has, and he's right. getting ready to do book four. Just to go back for a sec, but you talk about that the Journey to New Salem, the second book, is up for the Rhone Awards. Are you only submitting that to places that you submitted the first book? Like, is there any sort of worry that if people haven't read the first book, they might not appreciate the second book? Or you're not, you don't think like that because you're like, the second book is its own story. Well, I feel the second book is definitely its own story, although obviously it does follow everything that happened in the um, first. The third one was a little harder to do because of the concept that people have liked the third one, even if it's the first only one they've read. But I feel that it's been far more appreciated by anybody who read the first two. Meanwhile, on the fourth book, which is also going to follow the story. I'm trying to make that sort of like a jumping on point for new readers. This is kind of like it follows everything that happened and you get caught up on everything that happened without giving too much backstory, but now they're kind of in a, it's the same characters but in a new adventure. So somebody who hasn't read the others, although it might be more appreciated if they have, it's still, um, they'd be able to jump right in with book four with Which Way to Vegas and not feel lost. You're kind of preempting this, but have the publishers said anything or is it just kind of something you're thinking about on your own? Because it seems like a lot of times with series, this has nothing to do with the quality of a work and it has nothing to do with the writer, but the first book will get a lot of readers because people try it out, people whatever, and then it kind of, those excess readers sort of fade out and you end up with like a core group that will follow through with the series, but it, it's not going to be the same amount that tried out the first book. Well, what I can tell you is with the fourth book, Which Way to Vegas, my title was originally, as I was writing it, the title is going to be Witches Return to Vegas. That they didn't want because they said, well, you don't want to put return in the title because that's telling people there were previous books. If somebody comes across as, why well, didn't read the other books, they're just going to skip it. So they did ask me to change that title, but as far as what you're talking about, I mean, that's something that I'm very careful with. So I'm kind of on the same page. I mean, I'm sure I've seen them tell other authors, listen, you know, new readers aren't going to be able to follow this, but I'm very weary with it and very careful with it. So I, because we're on the same page, they've been pretty good as far as, you know, of course, I'm sure they check it out and make sure it does that, but I think they've been happy with how I've been presenting each book. I think inevitably there's nothing to do about it because some people just stop tracking a book, especially because you have to wait so long to be books in a series. I've done that. I'll read the first of the series and I forget that there's still other books coming out. So it's just inevitable. It's nothing to do with anything else. But that was an interesting thing that you said about changing the title 
And as you're saying it, you're like, yeah, that does make so much sense because especially you got new villain, new adventure, new everything, I could totally pick up a fourth book and just, there's other books that will seem like prequels to me almost. Well, that's how I try to look at it. I try to look at all the previous books to any new book I write, that those are the prequels. Now this is the story. Yeah. Easier said than done, but yeah. you know what? As a writer, that's what we do, right? Right. Well, because at the same time, you don't want to kind of ignore or chuck off any development that's occurred with the characters either, because if they've progressed somehow, or like you said, there's PTSD or something, there is a history still. There is a buildup. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to lose the depth that can be created from the buildup or the history. In truth, any book you read, any character you read, unless they're first born at the beginning of the book, they should already have a history. It's really not day one for them because like even Ice and Zach, they're both 15. That means they've been around 15 years. And you gotta make sure that your readers are caught up on them. So this is the same thing. Everything they went through, readers have to be caught up. Like I said before, without becoming a textbook, without spending too much time on the backstory. That is a really, really good point. I think we sort of subconsciously know that, but we don't always think about that when we're creating characters that, again, unless we're seeing this child born, and even the child born is born to parents who have a history and everybody's got a history somewhere, that is a really good point. That's also a good point for people who sometimes get lost in too much exposition. The same sort of thing you do with your characters, that you kind of just bring us in and then you kind of let us know about who they are and their personality as the story develops. That's kind of what you do for the general story also. My second book, Journey of Sam, was a good test for me on that. It was a good lesson for me for that reason, because they come across this village, this hidden village of witches. That's not day one for the village. They've been around a long time. The Witches of Vegas are kind of catching it at this point, but it can't come off like it's day one for the village. Right. You have a contemporary setting, even though it still has, I guess we could say, supernatural stuff or paranormal elements to it. That's kind of stuff that you see in like long epic fantasies where you have this crazy world building and all of a sudden they're creating myths and legends and histories and who knows what. And then you have all these spin-off books that are about all the... So you see that, like, I don't know why that's only relegated sometimes to these epic fantasies where it's every story kind of has its version of it that it needs because everybody has a history. Very important point to have mentioned. Just to kind of wrap up with everything and just to ask it, aside from Witches of Vegas, are you percolating any other ideas yet or are you just still focused mainly on the series? Now I'm still focused on the Witches of Vegas. I think the last podcast actually told my story. I used to write other books. I wrote the Razor Effect series. Yeah. I wrote a sci-fi book. And I got burnt out and I just stopped writing. And it was not my intention to ever come back to writing. And then I was out of this, the game for a few years. And then the Witches of Vegas hit me. Just to catch your readers up on me, I'm a guidance counselor. I work with high school students with special needs. I'm also a former magician, which is why the Witches of Vegas means so much to me, because it's dealing with magic. I was a magician, and I also work with the students on performing arts. I teach magic to them and have them perform on stage, and we were, we were working on the show and spending a lot of time putting a show together, and that night, about 2 a.m., I'm thinking, wow, all the work we put into it, it might as well be witches on a stage as far as the audience is concerned. They don't understand how much goes into it, and that's what it hit me witches on stage pretending to be magicians and all of a sudden the concept just hit me and like well who were the characters i'm just scribbling two in the morning trying very hard not to wake up my wife with the <laughs> flashlight under the blanket scribbling scribbling the characters the notes the setting what's the, what's going on the enemy and the whole thing just came together and all of a sudden bang i'm back in the writing world he's like a little kid after lights out trying to write without the parents knowing that you still have your flashlight with you another way to look at it, the writing world it's like mafia even when you're out they pull you right back in <laughs> So the point is the next time the Witches of Vegas series is done, if I'm going to write again, it has to be for another concept that just grabs me in the same way. Because I was like so excited about this, maybe more so than anything I've ever written before, that the next one I write has to also catch me in the same way. Yeah. It not only makes sense, but it's just also practical because that's how you get the story out. If it starts dragging, it's so hard to write it. It is. 
Yeah, but I mean, I feel that each book is different enough that, yes, it's a continuing series, but each one has its own personality, so this way it doesn't drag. It doesn't feel like it's dragging. Like, if you were to read all five, yes, you're following these characters consecutively, but you feel like each story is kind of its own story. Like, the first one is about Vegas, the second one goes out of Vegas, the third is the time travel, the fourth is the PTSD, and the fifth, well, that's still a big surprise. Everyone will have to check it, or they just follow you. If everyone follows you on social media, then they'll find out snippets as it gets closer. Yeah, at Mark Rose. Rosendorf, that's me on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, Mark Rosendorf's The Witches of Vegas. And there's my website, which is www.markrosendorf.com, one word, M-A-R-K-R-O-S-E-N-D-O-R-F. There you go. Mark, it was good to speak with you again, and good luck with everything that's going on, all your projects, everything, all the stuffs. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you back on your show at some point in the future. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast featuring author Mark Rosendorf. To find out more about Mark and his work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word Podcast, keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast, please check us out at el Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.